Talk, period. The podcast for people who want all things real, raw, and reputable, where we smash taboos and break down stigmas. I'm your host, Isabella Gosling, and welcome back for another episode, or welcome and hello if you're new here. Today's episode is all about endometriosis, given that it is Endo Awareness Month currently. On Instagram a couple of days ago, I asked everyone to send in their questions they had about endo and things relating to endo. So today I am going to be answering all of those. Some of them are relating to my personal experience and others are a bit more medical based. Just a reminder for this that I am not a doctor. I am a registered nurse. However, I cannot give any personal medical recommendations or advice. So this is all just general uh, medical information that has been researched via peer-reviewed academic journals. And I will make reference to a few studies and things like that throughout. Um, But yeah, other than that, let's dive straight into it. Okay, firstly, let's do a little recap on endo or endometriosis. So this is a condition that affects approximately 1 in 10 people assigned female at birth. So the stats are showing that that incidence could could be higher. So it could more so be like 1 in 5 people affected. And there was a study in 2019, I believe, that showed in Australia women between the ages, and I say women because that was the terminology used in the study, women between the ages of like 40 and 47 or something very specific, the occurrence of endo was actually one in nine. So there's a lot of confusion, particularly in Australia, around whether the occurrence rates are one in 10 or one in nine. So however, for however, Currently, it's still commonly accepted that it is one in 10 people, and that was only one study. So um, we need more research into the occurrences and instances of endo so we can actually determine how common it is. But the one in five statistic came about with the fact that there is a seven to 10 or seven to 12 year delay in diagnosis. The symptoms are very personalized so not everybody has the same set of symptoms so it can be harder to determine that you have endo because you might not present with typical symptoms also you might not have any symptoms so some people have endo without even knowing they have endo so it just is accounting for the fact that there might be a lot more people walking around with endo than are currently diagnosed Okay, so endo is tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus, which is called the endometrium. This tissue plants elsewhere within the body. So there is a lot of misconceptions around endometriosis being the same as the endometrium, so that lining in the uterus. However, they are not the same. This tissue is different. Um, There are similarities. So yeah, endo is not the endometrium. So endo tissue, it grows elsewhere within the body, usually within the pelvic cavity. So think your uterus, outside of your uterus, your ovaries, your bladder, your bowel. However, it's also been found on the lungs, on the diaphragm, 
on the spleen as of last year, and it's also been found in the brain. So endo has now been found within every organ of the body as of 2021. So it's not just a condition that affects your pelvic organs or your reproductive organs, as some used to think. It's actually a whole body disease. And now, like I mentioned before, not everybody has the same set of symptoms for endo. However, these are sort of the most common that people with endo experience. So heavy periods, breakthrough bleeding. So bleeding that's occurring between your period. um, That's a really common experience. Cramping in pelvic pain, lower back pain, painful intercourse. So having that pain with sex painful bowel movements, pain with urination, painful ovulation. They might be experiencing bowel symptoms such as constipation or diarrhea or increased urgency when you're urinating. Uh, Also, you can be feeling bloated as well as fatigue is a huge factor as well. And fertility can also be affected. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize they have endometriosis until they go to try and fall pregnant and they might not necessarily be able to. So then they end up going for a laparoscopy and they can then determine that they've got endo, which could be impacting their ability to fall pregnant. So how is endometriosis diagnosed? Currently, endo can only be diagnosed via laparoscopy, which is a keyhole surgery. And this needs to be performed by an endometriosis specialist who is going to do excision surgery. So excision means to cut. So there's another type of surgery called, there's another type of technique called ablation and that means burning and that can have some pretty uh, nasty side effects and long-term effects as well. So when you're going for a surgery uh, for endometriosis, it's really important to check with your surgeon which technique they use and are they an actual expert in endo. So endo is diagnosed through a laparoscopy with uh, excision being the gold standard. So endo is cut out and then it can be sent away for testing. So that's confirmed via histology. So a report will then determine what type of tissue this is. And then a diagnosis of endometriosis can be given. There's more uh, ways that are sort of assisting in this diagnostic process. So ultrasound is becoming increasingly more advanced and helpful in identifying deep infiltrating endometriosis. So things such as endometriomas or any adhesions, except if you have uh, superficial endometriosis, so really surface endometriosis, it's not very good at at picking that up yet. So laparoscopy is still that gold standard. Uh, You can't get a definitive diagnosis any other way. So Unfortunately, there's no real way to determine other than going in for surgery currently. And why is there that 7 to 12 year delay in diagnosing it? So this is generally because it can take people a really long time to actually understand that what they're going through might not necessarily be normal. And this is because uh, a lot of people aren't taught about their menstrual cycle, what's normal and what's not normal at school or by their family because it's considered to be a taboo topic. And this is obviously changing and I am so thankful it is. 
um, but these are barriers to diagnosis currently. So there's that lack of education from the people themselves who are experiencing these symptoms, just passing them off as normal. Or when you do go to the doctor because you um, determine that, yes, this isn't normal, I need some help because this is not manageable, the GP you might see might have no idea about endometriosis because they aren't trained in it and GPs have to be across a lot of different things, unfortunately. So they might say, look, you know, let's just put you on the pill and we'll go from there. And so if those symptoms don't improve, they might send you to a specialist. However, it's delay, 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 and it can be a while before you get any answers there, especially if they send you to a specialist who isn't an endometriosis specialist and you just go to a general gynecologist because there is a difference and the GP might not know the difference. So it's a lot of back and forth, back and forth, a lot of time wasting. So there's a lot of delays due to that nature or people having surgery where nothing's confirmed and then needing to go and get a second opinion or a third opinion or fourth opinion. So it's really important that we do speak up about what's normal and what's not normal so people can catch it out early and that we have increased GP education. So GPs know what the warning signs are and where to direct people who are experiencing these symptoms to a, some, to a specialist who knows what they're doing when it comes to endo. So we can reduce this delay to diagnosis. Okay, so now for some of the questions that came through on our Instagram. So the first question was, why do doctors just offer the pill for heavy and painful periods to people with a family history of adeno or endo? So the pill is offered because it generally can have progesterone in it and endometriosis is an estrogen dependent condition. And so if you're increasing the level of progesterone, it can sort of balance out and increase that level in your body so it's not the most well thought out or considered plan and it does sort of act like a band-aid because it is just masking those symptoms until that doesn't work anymore and then you're in a whole lot of pain even more than what you were before so it's offered generally to see if that will fix the problem without sort of digging deeper into investigating what's going on for you. And that can be very disheartening, especially if you know people in your family do have adeno. And I think that needs to be taken more seriously when you do say you have a family history of this condition instead of just trying to wait and see with the pill and see how you go rather than doing that, actually taking that action and going to a specialist straight away. And if your GP isn't taking you seriously or taking your concerns seriously, you have the right to go and see another GP. So you can go and see somebody else and ask for another opinion just from a GP and say, I want a referral to another, or I want a referral to see a gynecologist who specializes in endo. Um, And it can be really, really 
scary or unfortunate and it can be really hard because GPs sort of feel like the gatekeepers of referrals and you've got to really try and fight to get a referral to a specialist um, sometimes, which is really unfair because I, if I want to see a specialist and waste my money, so to speak, in quotation marks, then I should be allowed to do that. So the GP's, the GP question about um, the pill for heavy periods, and I know it's not just GPs because specialists do this as well, and this can typically be specialists who don't specialize in endo and they're not 100% competent or confident in treating these conditions. So I hope that answers that person's question that it can be offered as like a quick fix sort of solution. Um, And then once you've had endo diagnosed, um, the birth control pill can be used as a hormonal therapy um, in treating endo. It's not going to cure endo except Um, It's not going to cure endo, nothing will, but it can be used as a tool to sort of manage endo and stop periods and whatever your specialist is using it with you for. Okay, next question. What risks are there for having multiple endo excision surgeries? Uh, So the British Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology actually did a study around this in 2017 and they showed that there were increased risks around having multiple endosurgeries. However, ironically, more studies need to be done into what these risks are and the occurrence of these risks. However, they did note that increased surgeries or abdominal surgeries can be associated with increased adhesions because they could be um, causing more scar tissue from having to go in via the keyhole surgery and um, could be causing more scarring which can lead to adhesions. Uh, Also, it can lead to more anesthetic complications as well. So anesthetic um, more regularly is associated with some more major complications. So it could be like airway collapse and like a difficult airway. And so this is just really dependent on each individual person though. So risk factors don't necessarily mean that it's going to happen, but it is a risk. So other contributing factors can also contribute to having a high difficult airway and things like that so but there is an increased risk of that however your surgeon should discuss these risks with you if you are needing to have multiple surgeries and your anaesthetist will discuss this with you as well prior to your surgery as well Um, especially if they think that you could be a high risk intubation so high risk for um, airway collapse or anything like that and they've got strategies in place that will help to navigate any issues and their job is to keep you safe so these risks are not super common and they are like one in 500 or something like that but it is important to be aware of um, and there is needing to be more research into particularly the risks around increased um, surgeries for endometriosis and what those risks are. We just don't have enough research on them. There's also an increased occurrence of people having hysterectomies as well, which as we know, isn't even a cure for endometriosis. 
Okay, next question. Do you follow a particular diet? I keep putting on weight and flaring, but I'm also eight weeks post lap. Uh, I think this is one of the most tricky ones, so to speak. When you're living with endo and you're flaring, you might not feel like moving your body. And I completely agree with that. So I'm just going to talk from my own personal experience here especially if you've had surgery and you've had a hormonal contraceptive or contraceptive device placed. So I have an IUD. I actually have two of them. So that's um, hormones circulating around my body all the time. And then I'm also taking the contraceptive pill as a hormonal management strategy as well. So that's a lot of hormones going around my body. And I think a lot of people with endo or adeno can relate to that as well. And I know that some hormonal treatment options have risk, like have a side effect of weight gain. And I think it's something that people sort of laugh off or go, oh, well, you know, that's it. Like, that's what it is. And speaking with your specialist about it is a good idea. However, I understand that those concerns might be quashed or squashed and not really taken seriously. So, And I know weight gain is not the end of the world, but it can be really disheartening when you're already dealing with self-esteem issues and body issues around having to have surgery, feeling bloated, not feeling good in yourself. And then you've also got this added thing of weight being added that you're not used to having and you're living in a body that you're not really feeling comfortable with. So it is a genuine concern to have. So I completely understand you there. And personally I know how you feel I find it quite difficult to lose weight and I'm not trying to be triggering for anybody who's listening or anything like that but uh, personally I find it quite difficult to lose weight and I think that is due to all of the hormones that I have going around in my body and I'm not going to make any recommendations or anything like that of what you should do because it is so personal for each person and I know that's very frustrating but I did work with a nutritionist who has endo themselves and they've also done further training too and they're a degree qualified nutritionist because I know nutritionist isn't a protected term Uh, and they were very helpful with determining trigger foods that actually just cause me bloating and pain in general um so that was really helpful because I found that when I wasn't in constant inflammation that my body was able to process food a lot better and I was actually able to see um some changes within my body which was good because that was something that I was working towards. I know not everybody's working towards weight loss and that is completely fine. Um, Alternatively, seeing a dietitian who's an endo expert and I know a few amazing dietitians. Um, There's Leah from Balanced Nutrition and Steph, the dietologist as well, or the endo dietitian. She's fabulous too. And they can work with you around what goals you have because it can be really difficult and you can feel really disheartened. So especially being eight weeks post-lap, give yourself a hug, give yourself some time. Um, But I find trying to eat um, anti-inflammatory foods is helpful. I 
do not try and be really strict on myself because I know that's when some restrictive and not very positive thought patterns come in for me personally. Uh, And then I just focus on trying to move my body when I'm feeling well as well because when you're feeling like you're in a flare or anything like that, it can exacerbate it further. And so moving my body when I'm feeling well and when you're cleared for exercise again, just easing into it and getting back into where you're feeling comfortable is a really good thing. I've also found working with an exercise physiologist to be really helpful they were able to tailor sort of a routine that works for me that's not going to trigger anything while I'm working out because that's a concern I was having. I was ending up with a lot of abdominal pain. And so they're able to sort of work out what's going to what's going to flare you or trigger you or anything like that and work around it and give you exercises that can avoid that. And then I also had a really weak lower back because I was always bracing forward and my abs were always on, on, on. And so also working on developing my back strength again and my glute strength again. So these are things that, yeah, I'd recommend working with a exercise physiologist as well. And so if you're in Australia, you can get a chronic disease management plan. And so you can actually get five sessions subsidized with a health professional like a dietitian or an exercise physiologist. And now I know five isn't, you know, the best thing in the world, but it is better than nothing and it is semi-helpful. So I hope that's helpful for you. And we might leave it there for today. I do have a few more questions and bits and bobs, but they're a little bit um, more tailored to another episode, I'm thinking. So we might do another endo episode later in the month uh, as well. So other than that, I will be back in your ears on Wednesday with a brand new interview episode that I can't wait to share with you. And if you did like this episode and want to support the show, if you could rate and review on Apple or follow if you're on Spotify and review on Spotify, that would be amazing. Or you could even just share that you're listening on your Instagram stories or just tell someone about the podcast. That helps to grow the Let's Talk Period community. And it is just me running all the, bit, all the bits and bobs. So I appreciate any support, of course. And if you haven't joined our Facebook group yet, feel free to do so. All the details are in the show notes. It's called the Let's Talk Period Community and it is the place to get support, ask questions and just chat with people who get it. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history. 